There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centaria and I were joined by Rick McCartney. Rick is the CEO of InMedia Company, a multimedia content development and delivery company. We had a great conversation that went from the history of content and how we consumed it in the past to its current state and where it's going in the future. You can find out more information about Rick and what he's working on at InMediaCompany.com and I encourage you to check it out. If you'd like additional information, click contact us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need to make it happen. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Rick McCartney, the president, CEO, and owner of InMedia, a multimedia content development and delivery corporation dedicated to building an authentic audience experience through print, digital, and film media. Wow. Wow. Thank you for That's joining impressive. us. Thank you. Are we done? I, 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 I believe <laughs> so. That, that is what I was able to find online. So, Satari, here we go. Are you more of a uh, Anderson Cooper, Tucker Carlson, or Rachel Maddow kind of a guy? Oh, that's a, I've never done okay. um, that. I think I respect all three of them okay. and what they do, but. Really? Yeah. Um, probably I, Anderson Cooper is just so relatable and hilarious, but also still kind of considered a like hard journalist. So I would go with Anderson Cooper. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So Rick, we're talking content today, mm-hmm. and I guess part of me just says, "What what happened? And did 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 we bring this all upon ourselves?" <laughs> it's it, it's been said that that we get the government or the leaders that that we deserve, and perhaps mm-hmm. we get the. Uh, the well-respected journalists that we deserve as well. That we have as well. <laughs> well, the well-respected journalists are uh, feeding into a lot of what's happening. I mean, a lot of what's happening is born out of some of the new social media. I mean, content is rampant. Anybody can pick up their mobile phone. Three billion mobile phones in the world. People pick them up and they develop content. Goes out, they disseminate it on any channel that they like. And what that does is it creates a level of competition, and the competition among those things that become viral, uh, the media has to get involved in. If they don't get involved in it, then they're not seen as covering everything. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody like an incredible uh, on-camera talent, like Donald Trump, who capitalizes on that. And because of the media, and I believe it stems way back from Watergate, where the media overturned a president. And so the media has some power. And with that power, and with the what's considered fake content or content that is generated based on hype, it's only considered um, fake news if the mainstream media picks it up. I mean, the stuff we see on Facebook and Instagram, that's not fake news. That's just content being disseminated through various outlets. But when the mainstream media picks it up and they start reporting on it, and it isn't factual, or it's created based on biases, or to develop a political angle or something like that, then it's considered fake news. So it's evolving. It's going to continue to evolve. Yeah. How much do you think of this driven by the, not recent, but within the last 30 years, the um, the never-ending news cycle? So you talked a little mm-hmm. bit about content always having to be omnipresent, but how much of this has been driven by the fact that there is a somewhat of a demand for there to be news every single minute of the day. I think that is the reason why the media has to jump on those things that go viral. It's because they are 24-7, they have multiple shows. The ability to produce a show based on immediate content. I mean, I remember during, because I'm a little older than you fellas, I remember during the Iran-Contra crisis, um, one of the news stations picked it up, I think it was ABC News, if I'm not mistaken, it was their late night broadcast, which I think was 2020. And they started reporting on it every single night. And they created graphics around it. And what happened was a lot of these organizations realized that that was a great way to compartmentalize some of the content. 
And being on 24-7 means that you've got to find these great ways to not only fill your own content and time slots, so to speak, whether it's radio or TV, or even in print for that matter, but you're competing with all those other stations that have 24-7 news outlets or let's say content outlets, because it can be entertainment. Mm -hmm. I mean, entertainment, e-entertainment news is just as, um, I guess, valid when it comes to considering them an outlet for fake news as CNN would be. Mm -hmm. You know, they're consistent, they're on air all the time. Um, so they've gotta, they've gotta report, they've gotta find something to do. And if they're not seen as being connected to that which, which is going viral, then they're not significant, theoretically. So it is ever evolving. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that there have been self-corrections over the last few years. There is great conversation about true content. I actually think this last presidential race really helped bring it to the forefront so that we can question what it is that we're reading, what it is that we're ourselves disseminating. I mean, who knows what we've reposted that we thought was news that may or may not have actually been, you know, honest or true. You know, it looks right, it sounds right, the headline is right. Maybe the photo or the image connected to it seems credible. We push it out. So we're just as guilty, but, and as I say, everybody's got a phone, everybody's got a device. Um, even just email, you know, we pass that stuff along. And that, uh, it affects the genuine content. And genuine content is considered something, obviously, that's credible, but it's a choice. You have to choose to disseminate content that's been backed up or that has been uh, reported through, you know, a very credible source. A lot of people that can judge what's credible, what isn't credible. Um, I suppose that's why a lot of this stuff flies and gets on these main channels is because people decide it's credible and maybe it isn't. Right. And content is that's a large, yeah. encompassing term. Is it possible to define what content is? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. But these days it's very different. I mean, content is honestly that which is written or um, had been written. In other words, it could be a, a video broadcast that was written or that was somebody that was interviewed. Um, content can be entertainment. Content can be visual. It can be any of that. What we're really talking about is content that has some purpose or meaning. So we're not talking about advertisements as an example because that is not considered content. Content is that which we want to get across an opinion, um, some information. It just has to be informative. So the question is, is all content going to historically be you know, correct or credible? No, probably never has been, um, which is why I say it's a choice. You know, you've got to look at what you're going to do to back up what it is you're going to say so that you can drive the truth, perhaps, um, which maybe is the most noble of all content, is to try to be true and honest and representative, uh, representative of whatever the subject matter might be. So who do you feel is delivering this genuine content? Um, you know, it's interesting, because if you asked me that a year ago, I would have told you all the mainstream media. I mean, I really would have focused on the major networks and all of that. But because of what we've seen through this presidential election, at least it has put a magnifying glass on it. I'm not gonna say that it was all perfect before, but I certainly felt like it was. And as somebody who produces content on a daily basis, and we do kind of run around patting ourselves on the back, saying, look, our editorial department um, really goes to great extent to be sure that our content is original and that it's legitimate and that it's disseminated uh, in a way that represents who we are as a company trying to get honest information across to people. But I would say that any of these organizations that have newsrooms are probably some of the most reliable. Um, there's research-based content. I mean, we look at companies like Nielsen and Empower and some of these other organizations, Scarborough. These are companies that collect information and then they find um, honest headlines or reasons to aggregate it and put it out there so people are informed. Um, that's always a great source if you want to know that the content is true. I mean, it's in the eye of the, of the beholder as well. I mean, so to ask me that question, I can tell you a lot of the mainstream newsrooms that have, you know, the larger budgets, I mean, companies like BuzzFeed now, 
I mean, you know, they may have some different angles on headlines, but they're really vetting their content mm -hmm. so that it's out there. Um, Vice, which is fairly new. Yeah. Vice is an amazing organization. Everybody I know in the business talks about Vice. And they do a daily show that aggregates, you know, three or four stories, but they go relatively deep on it. And, you know, it's filmed content as well. And so that, you know, what you see, you trust, you believe. Um, so they're out in the field trying to vet that content. Um, so there are places that are doing it. I mean, we have KTAR locally has an incredible newsroom. They do some amazing stories. Um, they're a partner of ours within Business Magazine, so I'm not just bringing it up because of that. But I really think they're a solid newsroom. Um, they do have pretty good budgets. They have people that are very interested in getting the truth out there. Um, and that's the other element in all of this is timing. You know, you talk about the 27, 24-7 news cycle and how these, you know, companies now are breaking news. I mean, how many times do you turn on a channel and it says breaking news? I mean, TV shows just start with breaking. And it's like, well, isn't news breaking? I mean, I thought breaking meant, you know, this is stunning and informative and brand new and hot off the press or something. But it doesn't seem to be anymore. But time is a big part of it. If you've got a great amount of time to vet the content, you're more assured um, to get it out there in a way that's going to be more credible. It's why I think still, at least the Magazine um, Publishing Association and some other organizations still say that print is the most believable mm -hmm. because it takes a little more to get behind that. Somebody has written the story. Hopefully they've vetted that story. Um, and then it's gone to print, so it becomes fairly permanent. Mm -hmm. It's not like a flash in the pan you know, an online post that gets missed. Um, so there's some time behind that. So that, I think, does help yeah, determine our, how solid it might be. Previous guest, Tom Callanan, who ran the Arizona mm -hmm. Republic, talked about how print is different because you do have that long lead time. So between a story happening now and when it goes to print, there's so much more information that you would get than mm -hmm. me getting on camera right now and saying this is what's happening. Sure. And to your point, it seems like print now still would be the most source given that. I mean, it is overall. I mean, every poll, well, not every poll, but the bulk of the, the polls that we do on content and where we get it from and why we make decisions. Um, one of the big uh, ones was something Nielsen did in 2014 where they uh, put together a poll to find out what caused people to buy one product over another. And across the board, 85% of those polled said that the thing that got them to determine that particular product was not the reviews, it wasn't um, that it was the most popular, it wasn't even that it had the most stars on it, it was that it had an article connected to it with credible, reliable sources that said there's value in this and that's what made people determine they're going to buy that product. Um, so you can carry that across, I mean that, that sentiment I think you can carry across most content. I mean that would be a, a real good way to see um, or I guess to identify the power of that credibility. Right. And you've been in this industry for, roughly speaking, how, how long? Uh, 20 years. Okay, so yeah. 20 years. 20 years. <clears throat> so looking back 20 years ago, I'm just trying to remember back when pre-smartphones, which mm -hmm. certainly, we'll probably talk a lot about that today, wh where we were yeah. getting our news. And I can think back that I would actually read the, uh, the Wall Street Journal and the Arizona mm -hmm. Republic on a daily basis. And then I would have the, uh, the Economist magazine delivered to my house, which I would skim. Right. I wouldn't actually read it because that would, that's Very too, kind of too much. Yeah. <laughs> just, just being honest. But. Well, and the newsstand would reflect that. I mean, we used to go to newsstands and get all of that stuff. When I lived in New York City, we'd walk and there were these kiosks filled with all, and you would stand there for half an hour and determine what you were going to pick off the shelf and take home and read. And of course, you got your newspaper. You may have been online with an outlet 20 years ago, but you certainly weren't focused on reading mm -hmm. that on your monitor. You know, getting that smartphone and having that column, as I call it. I speak a lot about digital media, and I always ask the audiences that I speak to, you know, raise your hand if you have a smartphone. And of course, everybody in the room raises their hand. Raise your hand if a magazine came to you, like Vogue or Time magazine, doesn't matter the magazine, came to you and it was small enough to fit in your pocket, it was small enough to be able to click on whatever it was that you wanted, wouldn't that be your preferred way to read that content? And most people say, yes, they would love that. Hmm. So 20 years ago, we were picking these things up and it's just a matter of convenience and habit now. People say something like, you know, they'll say all the time, print is dead. 
Well, it isn't dead. Print is very believable. I mean, we go into our offices and we find an article that we love and we print it out and we sit there and we read it. Maybe we write on it. Um, maybe even we say it. So there's a lot of value in literally reading something that's in print. But, you know, 20 years ago that was much more true because we didn't have all the convenience of a single column on our phone that we can just scroll and get an entire article. And I don't know about you guys, but I love that. Mm -hmm. I love to be able to get an entire Wall Street Journal article, no matter how long, and get it in one column and just scroll and read it. Not a fan of all the ads that pop up in between it, but you know that's the nature of you know changing habits, right? Technology. <coughs> so I, was I just, think it's going to stick. By the way, in the internet, <laughs> I, I think it's that you heard it here first. Yeah. Rick McCartney breaking. Yeah, um, breaking news. So. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering back, certainly Wall Street Journal or just a traditional newspaper had lots of different sections to it. Obviously, it's, it's news, right? It's people reporting on important stories. But then there was also editorials, right? Sure. And, and some kind of an opinion section. So it's not so much, I'm just sort of working through everything in my head as, right. as, as I'm listening to you, that, that media has totally changed. It's, it's always been in a similar structure. It's just now, I guess maybe it's the democratization that now I can have a blog or a podcast or a Twitter account and say whatever I want versus... I yeah, so it's it. the ease of use. I mean, truly. And, it, and honestly, at the end of the day, the reason we have so many channels on a network is because it's a lot cheaper to run a station than it was before. I mean, cameras are cheaper. Everything mm -hmm. about what we're doing to create that content is easier and cheaper. When we produce our business magazine, I mean, in the old days, you know, I would have had to have had three times the staff to put out a monthly magazine because of all the work that was involved. Now we really just have, because it's digital, an ability to put it together, change it, make it any way we want. So it does mean that there's going to be more of it. It's a little easier. I do think cheaper has something to do with it. Um, but it does mean that anybody can put together a network and anybody can get out there. Um, with that content. There are some organizations, as you know, that prey on that, that prey on being that shocking content. Um, you know, even in the old days in print, that happened. It sold papers. So it's an industry. Um, but now, just as easy as it is to put up something like a, I'm not going to say CNN, because I know that's much more elaborate and they have an extensive, um, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, editorial department. But some of these stations, I mean, they can put up anything and make it look legit. And we believe it, we read it, we buy into it. Because it makes sense. Right. Right. So, but the editorial, you talked about editorial. Um, you know, the op-ed page and those things that we used to rely on. You know, you'd get it once a week or you'd get it daily. And you knew that they were very serious about finding that contrary opinion mm -hmm. or finding that person that could come in with an expert opinion on something that may have been, may have been written before, letters to the editor, things like that. You know, we've kind of forgotten those words because we're not paying attention to those pages for what they are. We're getting a response on Facebook from somebody's content. Uh, they'll post something and then some, I'm sorry, not content, I mean comment. They will comment on something, and that's an op-ed in everybody's opinion. And people believe it. They sometimes buy into that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 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 kind of spun around. And when you talk about it self-correcting, it comes down to, as you said when we first started, you know, it's all about us. I mean, we we deserve who we elect. <laughs> we deserve what we post and repost. Um, you know, we're going to get that based on how we behave in it. So talk to us a little bit about, um, there's an article recently, and certainly Tom Kalman addressed this before, but uh, with the, the budgets being slashed and more and more things becoming um, more focused on the BuzzFeeds and the CNNs, mm -hmm. uh, there are local papers and local very, very small rural entities that are no longer exist. So no one's there to report the news. So your, your local school board race, your local mayoral race, your local fire robbery, they're no longer getting the up. attention. Yeah, it's it's not, there's no one there to write about it. There's yeah. no one there to report on it. So um, talk a little bit about that. It's true. I, I do believe that we will, the pendulum will swing back the other way because that is an area where each of us, we are in our own homes, we're in our own den. 
Um, it's happening right outside our window and the demand will come back that we want that. I do believe that. But I think it has come down to, unfortunately, a lot of the national media mm -hmm. and those industries, uh, um, you know, companies, corporations that have the money to be able to command that content. And when these smaller organizations don't have the money or the ad dollars aren't there, um, then it just can't happen for mm -hmm. them like it used to. Um, you know, networks have not been given nearly as much time on their network. The local affiliates have not given, been given nearly as much time on their local stations as they used to. So they don't have to fill that content. It comes in or they purchase somebody else's content. Mm. So while we are losing that stuff, it's inevitable that that's going to happen as it becomes more easy. It becomes a lot easier for us to receive that content, but it's less likely that it's going to be connected to us. But I do think we're going to demand that we get it. We've created a product called Vicinity Magazine. That's what we call a hyper-local publication. Um, and in my 20 years of advertising and publishing and being in this business, the media business, I have never seen organizations jump on board something as easily or as um, diligently because it's their own neighborhood. It's what they know they support. They want the neighborhood to be a part of what it is they're doing. Um, and we struck a chord with that. So we've been really focused on what it means to be local and what it means to be authentic to our experience where we live. So I do think that will come back. But um, I, I did watch that podcast and I know that um, there's a lot of concern on the part of a lot of people that we're losing connection to what we're doing, you know, at the corner of Fifth and Main. We just don't know. But we certainly know what the Kardashians are doing every given moment. So something's important. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> to a degree, um, as again, as we're talking, sort of, it's all clicking in my head. All this crap has always been there. It just mm -hmm. was sitting in the checkout aisle of the grocery store in the form of the National Enquirer right. and everything else. And that was pretty clear that, that was BS, right? Yeah, because you would stand there at the checkout counter. I mean, all of us have done it. Stand there. Our parents have done it. Stand at the checkout counter and read the headlines, and you could decide what the legitimate content was from the illegitimate content. <laughs> but guess what was coming off the shelves? So it's always been natural for us to want to know that stuff and want to see it. So I actually do think that's a really good point. While it's gotten more convenient, I don't know that our minds and our needs from the standpoint of content have changed that much. I would love to see a study on whether or not we're seeking more of that, you know, sensational content because it's more available or have we always done that? Right. I think that a lot when I see some of you, you know, you'll watch an older movie and you'll see how we used to behave, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to picking up the newspaper or getting our information. And you think, you know, they were thinking the same thing. You know, when the headline said, you know, so-and-so was murdered and, you know, five people were captured, I mean, you paid attention to those headlines, just like that's the breaking news that'll show up tomorrow morning when you turn on your TV. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a curious thing. What percentage of our minds is it still twenty five percent wants to be somewhat voyeuristic or see something strange? Mm -hmm. uh, and it probably is within a couple of uh, percentage points, probably pretty similar. I think you should throw a few clips of something really strange into this podcast. And right, see and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And just, ask just, just to see what and happens. Just ask him to tell us. Um, um, go ahead. So the current state of, I, I brought up CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News at the top, sort of in jest, mm -hmm. but I think to a degree, they're sort of eating themselves. And maybe Donald Trump has, has forced them to do that because it's almost as though they have to cover him, whether or not he's actually doing something that's newsworthy or not. Well, it's interesting because a big part of them eating themselves up are the people that are hired and the celebrity-like status that we're giving these people who are broadcasting the news. I mean, you know, you watch CNN and it's not a single newscast. It's not, in the beginning it was headline news, which I used to love. You'd sit there for 30 minutes, some of it repeated, but very minimal amounts of it did. You got all kinds of news, you could pick and choose, you were done, and then it repeated the next half hour. So I was done, I didn't need to see it again, and I moved on. But now they know that habit, so they wanna keep people engaged. So they hire the celebrity interviewer, they put a panel of experts together who agree and don't agree, 
Um, and you sit there and you get this drive and it does appear that they are eating themselves raw, but the truth is, is they're enticing us to pay more attention. Um, and they do realize their audience is broad. And so if I've got a panel of, you know, six people that think one way over here and six people that think one way over here, and I can stand in the middle and moderate, and this is about the presidential election, I can cover it all. I can get everybody riled up. I can get everybody excited. I can, you know, anybody that's bored is going to be able to come to the table. And that's the power of what some of these stations are doing. And they're doing it pretty well. So they're fighting each other with these celebrities and they're fighting each other with um, not even sensational content as much as maybe overbearing content. You know, they're shoving it down your throat. So you've always got something there. Um, it's, I, to your point earlier about it not being much different than what was there before, the abundance is different. Mm -hmm. There's no question. There's an abundance of content. We're getting it 24 seven. We're going home and there's content in four different rooms or in our back pocket. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. The, uh, the content is the enemy. No, that's probably a bad mm. no. Content is neither good nor bad. Yeah. Okay. Neither good nor bad. Um, you said it was Headline News? Is that what the show was? Headline News was one of the first um, that shows that was on it's CNN. Like Headline News, is that not a station? It is, but it's not very common. You can't get it. It's not right next to CNN like it used to okay, be. Okay, yeah, because I remember that. Yeah. So to a degree, that, that, that reminded me of Sports Center, right? It used mm -hmm. to be, and at Satari, you've probably never seen Sports Center before, I've but it was this I've awesome show. And it would repeat over and over again, right? And people would watch it probably right. a couple of times because it was awesome. But then they brought in um, commentators that, that were athletes or, or uh, former athletes and they have, yeah. so it really has followed um, to a degree the, uh, the same template that, that the news. Yeah, and it's, and it's not surprising because look at what we're trying to do. We're trying to attract everybody to our station. So you do it with the sports, um, that is a perfect category, and they do it really well. In fact, in a lot of the design and different things that we use in our publications, because it's faster and it happens um, you know, pretty much present time, I tell our designers to watch these shows and watch what they're doing from a graphics standpoint and how they're providing information, because we're used to it and we love it. So when we go to our magazines, we want that digital experience. So the design has a lot to do with it and um, a lot of quick hit uh, content. You know, we used to have, you know, cover stories and, and larger feature stories, and we don't do that as much anymore. We do, if we do a cover story, we do a lot of chapter pieces to it. So you can pick up headlines and grab what you want. You know, it's not just that we're all busier than we used to be. It's not that um, there isn't as much time in the day as there used to be. It's none of that. It's that there is a lot more for us to see and a lot more places for us to go. So if they're gonna pay attention to one of my cover stories, I better chapter it out so it's easy and they can digest it quickly because they may not spend as much time as they would have before if they didn't have all these options. So Sports Center does the same thing. You know, E! News, the entertainment stations. I mean, you go to something like um, the one with Mario Lopez. What is that? Extra. Uh, extra. You go to Extra and if you really watch that show, 50% of that show is paid content. They are pitching a product, they are pitching somebody's, they are being paid to disseminate that content. But it is not being dressed that way. It is being dressed as though it is entertainment news. So, so you mentioned two things. So one piece about uh, chaptering out cover stories. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on the argument of something like an Atlantic or even a GQ that prides themselves on long form essays, whether it is in print or, or online? So you have, like if you read a really in-depth article yeah. on the Atlantic, it takes a while. And if you have that in print, it's it's it takes it's, space. It's, it's a it's an essay. Like it's a pages and pages. So what are your thoughts on people who still create that content and what does it say about the people who still crave that content? Yeah, and I and I say that it's fantastic. I will tell you, Atlantic is one of my favorites. I mean, if you go to their web website, they aggregate their content, not necessarily by subject. Mm -hmm but by writer, and the reason they do that is because their writers are so good at what they do. So I, for one, am going to be attracted to those longer stories and that information right. because there's a subject there that's been vetted, it's a story, it's something that really matters and pertains, but it's, 
I was going to say unfortunate, maybe it is unfortunate, that's becoming a niche, that's not becoming the norm. Right. And it's because of the competitive nature. Somebody that has the cachet based on the people that are writing that information, they've got a following, they've got an audience, that's why Huffington Post worked. Huffington Post worked digitally because of the people they brought on board to write their content. You knew who they were, you probably already followed them, um, you had an expectation of what you were going to get, that it was credible, etc. Because if someone decides, I'm just going to start, because it's very easy, to start a network online mm -hmm. and to build some content and put it together and get it out there and then run around telling everyone to pay attention to it, what's their reason for paying attention to it? You can't hire the celebrity writer. Um, so it makes it different or difficult. But, you know, the newsrooms in some of these organizations have just incredible people behind it. So I, I'm not sure what your question was. I don't think it's gonna go away ever. Um, I think us being able to spend more time with something that really matters to us is always gonna be important. I mean, a novel, you know, the way we um, sell books is different. The way we listen or read a book is different, but they're still books. I mean, nobody's reinvented the way we do a book. You know what I mean? We still crave that. And then so too, Georgia brought up ESPN um, and all the commentators and personalities they have, but didn't recently they got rid of a huge chunk of that? And what was the impetus behind that? I don't know exactly why that was. Um, I think it was maybe just a cost-cutting measure, but I'm, I'm not positive, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, and let's say that it was, um, you know, we've heard that quite a bit with the local newspapers. Um, I just was talking to somebody the other day that actually, um, is one of the CPAs that works on auditing the newspaper. And the local newspaper, when I was involved with it, um, you know, we always heard, I was told in this conversation, what we heard was not correct, but I was always heard that it was about a million pieces, a million publications, newspapers that went out on any given Sunday. Um, and when I said that to this person who's an auditor, they said, no, the most I've really ever heard of is around 600 to 700,000. And I said, well, I'm certain that what I heard was not what we call pass-along readership, meaning I subscribe, I get the paper, and then I hand it to you, and then I hand it to you. That's three readers. Mm. So that's fair. That's true. That's a legitimate um, factor when you're selling advertising and when you're trying to promote the content or the delivery of it. But we were always told it was a million publications that went out, and now they're down to about 200,000. Wow. So you have to ask yourself, why are they down to 200,000? You know, what has changed so much? And I believe the answer, which is where we started in this, is very simple, and that's just literally convenience. It's more convenient for me to get that information on my phone and pick and choose and decide uh, than it would be for me to wait for the paper on Sunday to show up. So a lot of people that love it, love it because of their habits and that kind of thing, you know? What do you think this, from a long long-term standpoint so you'll have a generation probably the next generation that will have grown up not getting a sunday paper mm -hmm. or uh, not getting content from their phone so what does this look like for print what does this look like for traditional media um i have said for years and i believe it's going to start to really happen because you're going to get to a point financially where you've got to do it where something like a wall street journal is going to get printed on a weekly basis mm -hmm. And the information that you're going to get is information that you're going to maybe want to keep or reference or hold on to because it's physical. <laughs> I think the rest of it is going to be something that's going to happen to us through a mobile device or through, a, you know, a, something that pops up on our computer screen. I mean, I do believe that one of the next major ways for us to receive stuff is through the side of whatever we're paying attention to. So I will be doing emails and on the side I will have various columns that will show up, various information and things, almost a Facebook feed that will always be in front of me. I mean, you know, ultimately you see all these things about how it's going to be in our contacts or something where it'll be in our eyes and we'll look at it. Um, I, I, just, I mean, we don't want to miss out on that stuff. And if we can get it 24-7, it's, it's kind of hard to say, no, I don't want it, if you know your neighbor's getting it. You know, it's that sort of fear of not being connected. So I do think that there is going to be a change in that. So the question is, how do you take something that's been printed like this for so long that has advertisements in it? Obviously, my business and something we've been working on for, you know, seven years, give or take. 
how do you monetize it when you change the method that you're developing that content for? And it's a matter of trial and error. I mean, it, it truly is. We look at who we are as an organization and we have said for the last year and a half to two years, what we are is an ever-changing organization. We are a content development company. And the reason we've looked at ourselves as a technology company is because if we don't think like a technology company, then we don't know how to be there for that next great move or that next great product. And the newspapers are getting better at that. The newspaper actually has an advantage to going into that digital element or into that online element because they have the credibility and power of their newsroom. And something we've discovered is that if we were just to, as I said earlier, just develop something electronically and disseminate it and tell everybody, hey, this is really great content and it's digital and it's convenient and it's on your phone and it's local, whatever we wanna to say to entice somebody to look at it, they just aren't gonna believe it. They're just not gonna feel it like they would if we said, hey, this is coming from a magazine that's distributed on a monthly basis that's got X content. I can show you a copy of the magazine. Now they start to feel like there's credibility behind it. There's an understanding as to why I should pay attention. So the newspaper has that advantage. I would say that there have been very few that are taking advantage of that. They're so mired in the almighty dollar, my belief, not necessarily what's happening, but they're so mired in the buck that they're not paying attention to what they need to be developing to truly um, disseminate content and, and do that same thing they started out with, you know, I guess, I guess when the Bible was written. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it sounds pretty good. So let's just find out how credible that content is. Right. <laughs> Talk about different delivery mechanisms, if it's through a mobile device or print. What about through um, pushing content out through influencer marketers mm -hmm. like celebrities? Yeah. Um, we had uh, on the last show or the uh, second to last show, we had two folks on talking about influencer marketing mm -hmm. and how that's changing. Your thoughts on that? Right, interesting. I ran into them right after you guys did that and we had a very um, strong conversation about that. Um, I believe it's, it's, it's no different than me saying earlier that Extra is one of the most successful shows at 5.30 or 6.30 in the evening of all shows because there's paid content and people are getting relevant products that they can then touch, tap into, and get familiar with, live their life through. So there's always going to be that acceptance of influencer content. The question is, do you want to manipulate people's minds and make them think it's something that it isn't? Or do you want to be authentic in it? And I believe that the power of that is simply being authentic. You know, um, if you really watch extra, you'll see at the end of the show or even sometimes during it, that they're telling you that this is, you know, paid content. They're telling you this is a product that you can push, uh, purchase, and that at the end of the show, here's the contact to get a hold of them and that they paid for that placement. So there's a level of authenticity to that, but there's also that need for that information. So I think that um, influencer content is always going to work. The question is when you take it and you connect it with something like news or you connect it with something like um, an article on the front page of a newspaper, you are theoretically affecting that content. And as soon as someone reads into that, it's going to change the way they view your overall organization. So somebody like um, the Arizona Republic, I mean, when I was running their custom publishing group, we had several sections to where the ad department wanted to put articles in there that somebody purchased and it was paid content. And of course the newsroom said, there's no way that's gonna happen. So we found ways to identify it or put it in a special section where they got their content, but then they also had this opportunity to learn more about these products in a way that was, you know, a 300 word article a two-page article in some cases, it doesn't matter. But it was identified as such. So um, I think digitally, it's a lot harder to identify it. Digitally, it's a lot scarier, if you will, when you're disseminating content to look at <clears throat> how you're being influenced by it um, because of the way it's coming to you. You open up your phone, you go through um, your Facebook feed, and you believe all your friends, you believe all the things that you follow, and then all of a sudden there's an ad it doesn't feel like an ad, and it's telling you something that you want to know, and you click, and you open it up, and then it asks you, it maybe gives you a couple of paragraphs, and then it tells you to buy into something. 
You know, I've seen weight loss ones like that. I've seen some business ones that do that. It ends up being some seminar when you really just think it's a great headline and you're going to get some strong content. So if you feel cheated by that, how far are you going to go? I was talking yesterday to somebody that said, you know, they love the business journal and they love the way that they digitally disseminate. But even though I have a subscription, when I go in there, it doesn't know I have a subscription and I don't want to spend all the time in the world getting in there and fixing this problem. So I'm not getting the content that I'm tapping on right now. So I've given up. So when it comes to digital, relevance is key. I think relevance is always key when it comes to content. But when it comes to digital, relevance is key. If it's not relevant, you're not going to pay attention. But number two in it, which is not the same with a newspaper, has to be useful, has to be user-friendly, has to be easy to access. As soon as you find some gate, you're done, you're out. In the newspaper, you know what you're in for. I mean, the worst thing you complained about when you got the newspaper was that your fingers got ink all over. But you knew that was happening when you picked it up. When you go to something and you open it and you think you're going to get this great content and it fools you, you're not playing that game for too much longer. Right. So influencer is fine, but influencer to just attract the attention, I think it has its limits. You know, we'll probably always click on those things though. So we're always going to get a few seconds. Right. Depends who that person is. Yeah. Some people I'm totally in for no matter what. Yeah. Like Tim Tebow, you can sell me anything. Really? Anything that shows up and you're in? Yep. Okay. 100%. That's very interesting. 100%. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about a guy who's uh, you're, you're probably in or you are out. Tim Tebow is one of those guys. Well, and see, that's a great example of what we were just talking about because there's your celebrity connection that's going to make you pay attention. So if he's smart and if the people behind him are smart and he connects with those things that are truly authentic, he's going to continue to get paid to do it and you're going to continue to follow him when you support something. There you go. So it is kind of the nature of the beast, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of it. I think it's actually our individual responsibility. When we click on something, you know, you live and you learn. If you um, really want that great content and something like Atlantic is your thing, then you're going to set that up on your phone. You're going to make it convenient for your life to be able to gain that content. You're that person that just surfs through the channels. You go to a guide right now on DirecTV and you scroll through the guide and it's got the listings of all the stuff that you can watch, but in between it are ads for other things you can buy. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally products, not just movies anymore. So. <laughs> That's interesting, I hadn't yeah. noticed that. So the way forward, um, and, and this is what we're talking about, mm -hmm. is it, is it subscriptions? People are going to pay a subscriber fee to receive the content. Is it ad-driven? Is it things like Patreon or fan-driven? I don't know what your feelings are on that. You're talking about the models? Yes. I think the models are all going to always exist. I think it's a matter of just knowing who you are and who your audience is. And for us as a company, we want to be authentic to that audience. That rules everything that we do. So if that's the case for us, we're not gonna do a celebrity endorsement for a cover story, but we might put a celebrity on the inside front cover of the magazine in an ad so that when you open it, you feel good about who's involved with us. So it's just a matter of what model you wanna do, wanna use, but the, the word that I would say is key is authenticity. Um, be focused on your end user or your reader. Um, I do think a lot of the major newspapers are not focused on that. Um, you know, we have one here that I think could be very tapped into what's happening locally and carry that responsibility and they can. So I'm not sure which model to answer your question is the model of the future. I think we're going to test and play with all of them because it's so easy now to do that. But I think at the end of the day, our own personal choices is what's going to get us what we want. As you said in the beginning of this, it's what we deserve, right? We're responsible. We pulled the lever and voted for that person. We clicked and received that content. Um, we subscribed for $1.99 or $24.95 or $300 a year to whatever the content is that we want to count on. You have those people that follow Fox News, you have those people that follow CNN, and those are usually not the same person. <laughs> you know? So there are models out there for everybody, and I think as long as we are gonna be touching and clicking and reading and you know, that all those models are going to exist. So, all really good stuff. The, uh, the action piece from, from a couple of different angles. If somebody listening out there is a content creator mm -hmm. and they're not a magazine, 
but there's somebody who really just wants to push, thinks that they have something valuable to say, um, and they're interested in potentially monetizing and making a living at it, what would your advice be to them? Um, know your audience. Because at the end of the day, anything you're asking monetarily or from a credibility standpoint, from even an accolade, let's say, whatever it is that's motivating you, to include an audience means you better pay attention to your audience. Because you can decide, I just love writing. I have a blog and you know I love my cat. So every morning I get up and I write about my cat. I don't care who the audience is. I want to write about my cat. Now by I, I don't mean me. I mean other people do that. Right. Um, just to be clear. Uh, but anyway, so you know there, there are ways to do that. But what you're talking about is something that's audience driven. So you have to be loyal to your audience. The audience is the most important key to that because the audience really should kind of dictate. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, um, create your content the way you want to create it. You may have to find that audience. You may have to find that audience. Um, you know, so there are a multitude of ways that you're going to go out there and find your audience. And you know, I can speak to anybody in, on an individual basis about what that would look like. But at the end of the day, if you're focused on your audience, you probably will have one. Got it. And we've been talking about it's a it's an individual choice. Mm-hmm. How you are you're, you're you're voting with your clicks, or you're voting with your money, and that's where you're going to be receiving more of mm-hmm. this idea of fake news. Um, if somebody is concerned about, I don't want to fall victim of fake news, or I want to make sure that I'm right. avoiding that. Advice to people on on vetting news sources or content sources, rather. Yeah, and that's that's becoming a taller order than it used to be, I think. Um, and you know, it's buyer beware kind of a thing. You've got to do your research. Um, it, I think there's the the obvious, um, you know, mainstream media sources that you can go to, but you know, you've got another newspaper bitching and moaning about something the New York Times, who we say has an incredible editorial staff, who really believes everything they're printing. But you've got another organization here who's saying that's fake news, that's not really what was reported, that's not what happened. So it does become very difficult to know who to trust. So again, going back to our own personal responsibilities, um, you know, dig in. I mean, that's the best thing that you can do, is make those choices. And I think also by process of elimination, Start dropping those things that you just don't feel are powerful or important. Um, don't click or, or um, repost something that you just don't feel is really legitimate content. I mean, we do have that responsibility now, and, or we choose not to. But to your question, if we want to be that person who's kind of the master of that solid content and continue to be able to kind of pull into our own world, that stuff that really makes a difference and matters, then that's the kind of thing we have to think about, is what do you want to eliminate? What should you not be paying attention to? Um, that's a hard question to answer, actually, George, but um, it's personal responsibility. You know, you can only listen to Kellyanne so many times before you're not sure what she says is true or not. And that's the truth. I mean, I, I've watched her, and I'm sure she's a fine person, but listening to her talk when someone's asking her a question and say things that don't necessarily answer the question or bring together the point that the commentator is trying to get across. I mean, at some point you just have to say that's not somebody I can trust and somebody I can listen to and pay attention to and that's no longer the kind of content I'm gonna rely on. That actually I think was a pretty good example because I know that's happened to me very specifically. Watching her on these Sunday morning shows has made me realize that if she's on, it's a waste of my time. So, yeah. Buyer beware and personal responsibility. Groundbreaking stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Telling people that, Breaking news. <clears throat> that they need to do a little bit of homework. Yeah. Then that's, I mean, geez, that's, we are all, it seems like we are busier and there's more filling up our, mm-hmm. our headspace than perhaps there used to be. But it's always going to come down to make sure you're doing your, your homework on stuff if, if you're not sure about it. So yeah, and there, I mean, you know, we do have interests. So there's the whole different area of like fantasy and, stuff like that things education I and mean, that's all content too we didn't go into that and we don't need to but you can imagine that there are areas within that alone that are gonna 
you know, spark question and influence people and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it's powerful. Content is power. Enormous. So Tari, what have we forgotten to talk about? Um, let's see. <laughs> Answered all my questions. We're good. I think um, one of the things for our listeners is just to, you know, I always find it interesting and fascinating that we have such a problem discerning fake news when it really is, when should get through, it's just using common sense. I mean, it seems like it. If something seems sensationalized, it probably is. If something seems too good to be true, it probably is. If something sounds ridiculous, it probably is. There was an article on maybe Slater, no, it was The Atlantic talking about how it used to be just a, a right-wing problem, but now now more left-leaning publications and news sources are doing the fake news thing. And a, a, a reader or a person who is being mindful, being thoughtful, doing their due diligence would be, it'd be easy for them to Kind of figure it out so i would say for those listening just kind of you know use your best judgment on those things and it won't get the best of you it does throw us though when all of a sudden you see a major network put somebody like kellyanne conway on television and she's disseminating something that isn't necessarily the true i mean her comment about alternative facts you know and the commentator is sitting there correcting her i mean she's literally in a position of credibility. She is literally, this is after that person was elected president and she was in an official role for all intents and purposes and she's talking about alternative facts coming from someone who is paid to disseminate the facts <laughs> in a press room. It's, it's amazing. I mean, that is and amazing. It, and it clouds everything you just said because common sense says that person should not be in that role common sense that person should not be elected president of the United States if that's how they're going to conduct themselves. But look what happened. Mm -hmm. So it is our responsibility. It's good. Did that get too political? No, not at all. <laughs> that, that we could all just take cues and lessons from what our parents told us when we were little kids. Let's be honest. And right. That kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of At the end of the day. I'm sure my mom told me a million things, but that's the one that's really that's the only one right now. Yeah. Anyway, Rick, what else? Uh, what else would you like to share? Uh, no, I'm good. That was that was great. I mean, you know, content can be boring, but I think the truth is, is it's changing, um, and it, it's something now that we have to be conscious of and pay more attention to. In the old days, it just passed across our desk, and we believed it and moved on. Now we have more of a responsibility. And where can folks learn more about you and what you are, you are working on? Um, yeah, inmediacompany.com is the website for the overall company. We have In Business Magazine, uh, which both uh, all of our brands, as we call them, we don't even call them magazines as much anymore. We call them a brand because there are events, there's a printed piece, um, there's email, there's digital content. And that becomes a brand, not just a magazine. So we've had to change the way we look at that, which is interesting. Um, but we produce uh, in business magazine and vicinity magazines um, and are growing and always looking at ways that we can be better at what we do in creating and disseminating content. Excellent. So thanks for the opportunity, guys. Yeah, very much enjoyed it. Well, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Tell a friend, hit like. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.